Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. If you're a fan of the show, write us a review and tell your friends about us. And if you donate at thebittersweetlife.net, you'll not only help keep the show going, you'll get a handwritten thank you note in the mail. And we will never forget you. Also, if you want to sponsor the show, contact us through thebittersweetlife.net. And if you're new, welcome. I'm Katie Sewell. This show begins in Rome, right after I quit my job as a senior producer for public radio and moved there. This was totally out of my character. My co-host is Tiffany Parks. She's a writer, author of Midnight in the Piazza, and she's my childhood friend. And she also moved to Rome, but over a decade ago. She flew there with no real plan and managed to stay. Don't be afraid to start way back at the beginning. I promise you'll be entertained. And don't be afraid to start thinking about how you might want your life to be different. We're all on this journey together. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And if you heard last week on The Bittersweet Moment, hosted by Tiffany Parks, she talked about traveling with kids in Rome, which raised the question for me, what was it like when we traveled as kids? We've talked a little bit about the fact that you went abroad with your mom or your parents or something growing up, but I don't actually know very many of the details of what it was like to travel with little Tiffany. Hmm. I thought it'd be kind of fun to explore. And if anybody listening has stories that they want to share about their traveling life growing up, we'd love to hear those too. But first you, Tiffany, what kind of a traveler were you as a kid, would you say? Well, it's hard to describe. I don't remember a lot of trips when I was really little, to be honest. I don't have very strong memories of most of the trips that that I took as a kid. I have a few strong memories of maybe just one trip to Hawaii. We went to Hawaii a number of times, but I have strong memories of a trip that I took when I was about 12. And then I have very strong memories of the first time that I went to Europe when I was 14. That's probably the trip that is, at least of those years, stands out most in my mind. And then, of course, I remember going to New York for the first time when I was maybe 10. Those three trips, I remember anything before that is like a wash. I have no memory of it. (laughs) Why is that, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we just always went to the same places. We always went to Hawaii. Maybe we went to California. That's not true. I actually have memories... Okay, I was totally lying. (laughs) Now that I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Not intentionally. Not intentionally. I have memories of going to Arizona and Wyoming when I was five. Okay. I have very strong memories of that trip. And I I think the reason I have such strong memories is because it was the same period that my dad left. And my mom was like, we're going on vacation. (laughs) You mean your dad and mom were separating? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, He left, okay. He left, yeah. And so I think that that maybe I remember it so well because there was something traumatic going on in the same time. Yeah. And I think that can focus your memory in a a certain way. Also on that trip, my very first experience with the emotion of guilt. Oh, really? How so? I remember this like it was yesterday, Katie. We were staying in Wyoming at a dude ranch, okay? I just remember there being a lot of dark wood. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was very woody and it was very brown. Sounds about right for a dude ranch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the very first time in my life that I remember doing something that I knew at the time was wrong. Mm. 
And what I did was I carved my name onto the windowsill, on the wooden windowsill. Ooh. Yeah. And I knew that it was wrong and I did it anyway. And my mom looked over at a certain point. She wasn't in there. She must not have been in there when I did it. And she was like, what's wrong? And I pointed to it. You know how kids are. They point out the things that they did wrong. Uh They want the world to know. (laughs) And I pointed to it. She could see what it was, but she couldn't see that it was my name from that distance. She could see and she said, oh, can you believe someone scratched their name onto the windowsill? That's horrible. And that did it. I mean, Katie, I don't think (laughs) I have ever cried so much in my life. It just was like sudden waterworks, tears, guilt. Ah, oh, man. And it's so funny, too, because it's the one crime you can't really deny. <laughs> right? <laughs> like if you had carved in a smiley face <laughs> or, or anything not your name. I know. You would have been fine. I know. You could have passed it off. So bizarre. Well, what was your mother's reaction? I can't remember, but I I seem to remember her just having to console me. Yes. Because I was so upset. You know, I actually, side note, I actually just had a memory that was similar to this. And I was remembering the only time I ever got detention. I got detention in middle school in seventh grade, and I got it for chewing gum. Oh, naughty, naughty. I know such an offense. And the school that I was going to was maybe three or four blocks from the school where my mother was currently working. After school, I just start walking over to meet her. And the whole time I'm just dreading it and crying and crying and crying. And of course, when I show up and I'm so upset. And I remember thinking she would be so disappointed in me. And her reaction was so benign. And at the time, I didn't understand why. But of course, as an adult, you think, who cares? You You were chewing gum. Yeah. And I think especially like when your kid feels really bad about something. Mm -hmm. I know really there's been certain situations where he's felt really bad about these tiny little things, you know, and I feel worse for him. Just feel exactly like my mom felt. But anyways, I was thinking when I was telling you that story, because the only other main thing I remember from that story besides the horse getting caught in quicksand good grief yeah that can't have really happened well my sister robin i just we were just reminiscing about it because my second oldest sister robin she was there for part of that trip and what i remember is the horse being caught in quicksand which apparently was a mud trap or something but but we were we were all on horses walking up through the mountains and one of the horses that someone was riding one of the leaders of the group it fell into this mud hole and could not get out. And it was up to like the lower part of the neck of the horse. And my sister Tia was there as well. And it's my sister who passed away this past year. We were reminiscing about it because of her. She was 13 at the time. She took off her cowboy hat. There was a little stream running by and she filled her hat up with water and she threw it on the horse and the horse was able to jump out of the mud because of what she did. So she kind of like saved the day at 13 years old. That is very memorable, but I was convinced it was quicksand until like last week when my sister said, no, I think it was mud. (laughs) But I like the quicksand story better. We grew up in a time period where everything was about quicksand. Yeah, I know. I don't think kids today worry about quicksand anymore. I don't know. I think it's, I think quicksand is an amazing, it's like lava. It's like one of those amazing forces of nature that is exciting. You talk about it in the same way of like, don't walk on this part of the carpet because it's lava, you know? Yeah. 
It doesn't matter if you've never seen lava, but lava is still an important part of your life as a kid. And I think quicksand is the same. Hmm. But what I was going to say is I remember the punch that they had at this dude ranch was like the most amazing punch in history. (laughs) And if you look at the pictures of us during that trip, my mouth was always red, bright red, (laughs) because I was always drinking this punch. And it made me think how like, Parents will spend all this money to take their kids on vacation and to show them things, take them to museums and take them on horseback riding adventures or take them up into the mountains. And the kids remember like the punch. That's what I remember from that trip. The punch in the quicksand. And I was thinking about Aurelio, you know, we took him to the mountains when he was three. We had an amazing time, but like, what's he going to remember? He's probably going to remember the waiters that he loved. Yeah, if that, he'll remember the fact that you let him have french fries. Yeah, that he got to have french fries every single night. That's what he's going to remember about that trip. Yeah. For whatever reason, your punch reminded me of the first time I remember ever being at an airport. And I don't even think I was flying anywhere. I think we must have been there to pick somebody up. And my sister had some sort of strawberry flavored lip gloss that we both love to eat, to consume. (laughs) (laughs) Where you put it on your lips and then we'd be like, (laughs) you know, and then put more on. (laughs) And I can't remember if it was me or her, but as we're passing it back and forth, one of the two of us dropped it. And it was in a glass container and it just shattered. And we were both like, no! (laughs) (laughs) When you're a kid, those things are such tragedies. Yeah, I still miss that lip gloss now. <laughs> so, wow, that was a big trip for you. That was a horse in quicksand getting in big trouble. Great punch. That's that's not bad. It was an intense trip. We also went to Arizona. I, my mom lives in Arizona now, but she didn't then. So we went to Phoenix in the middle of like the hottest heat wave that Phoenix had ever seen. And it was so hot. We had to put towels on the car you know, you couldn't sit on the car seat. I mean, we're talking 1980 something, I don't know, somewhere in the 80s. The seatbelt fasteners were metal back in those days. We had to use towels like to hold the seatbelts. Like you couldn't touch the seatbelt or it would literally give you a, a literal burn. Do you remember what your mother was like on this trip? You know, I really don't. You know how kids are so oblivious <laughs> to like whatever their parents are going through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really remember what what she was like. I just remember we had an amazing time. That's an exception to my rule of not remembering trips when I was little. What kind of a traveler was your mom when you were more like 14? Well, I'll tell you because that trip I remember. So we went to Europe. My mom was a Francophile. She loved everything France. We went to Paris. We also had some friends. We had two sets of families who we were friends with because we'd had foreign exchange students two years running from two different families. So we had a family right outside of Paris who my mom is still very close friends with. And there was a family in uh, Normandy. They both invited us to stay. And then of course, basically to please me, my mom let us go to Florence for a weekend um, because I was obsessed with the movie A Room with a View as we've discussed. (laughs) several times on this podcast. Tiffany was an eclectic child, yes. Yeah, that part of the trip was for me. We got to go to Florence. One of the main things I remember from that trip as far as like what was I like as a teenage traveler is that we went on a tour of the Loire Valley, which is this section of France just south of Paris where they have the most beautiful castles. And you've got to think like a 14-year-old girl, castles, France. It's a recipe made in heaven, right? (laughs) Yeah. But I guess I was bored. So we probably visited three or four castles, but 
one day we went to the Chateau de Chambord, which is just this enormous castle, huge. I just remember walking around the grounds and my mom saying to me, I'm never taking you anywhere ever again. (laughs) And I can't remember what I had done to deserve that, but I suppose I was looking bored or, you know, I was just being like a sullen teenager. I definitely didn't have a cell phone that I was staring at back in those olden days, but I guess I wasn't as interested as she thought I should be, which is probably right. I probably wasn't. Yeah. You're probably complaining. How much longer do we have to be here? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It's hard for me because, you know, that's not the teenager that I want to have been, you know? (laughs) (laughs) We don't necessarily get to choose the type of teenager we are. Well, you know my book. You've read my book. And Beatrice is 13. And she's fascinated by Rome. She soaks up like everything she sees. She imagines what it was like in ancient times. She just gets really into it. That's the type of teenager I I wish I had been. Maybe that's the way I wrote (laughs) Beatrice like that. I know that in some respects, in some places, I was very into it. Like in the Piazza della Signoria, I cried. (laughs) But I wasn't crying because I loved the art so much, or even because of the history. I was crying because in the Piazza della Signoria, George catches Lucy when she faints. (laughs) Yes, back to the movie, A Room with a View. Yeah, I was just obsessed about the movie. It's really kind of pathetic. It's like when people come to Rome and they're more interested in like the sites where angels and demons took place than they are in the actual history of Rome. And I always get so frustrated with t- when tourists are all like, oh, is this the church where the angels and demons thing happened? I'm like, yeah, but you do realize that that is not real and that this other amazing, much more amazing stuff actually did happen. That's true. <laughs> but I do think that with when you're a kid, isn't it often stories, movies, things that end up being the opening point to the curiosity. That's very true. And that's how I excuse myself. And I hope that my book can be that for other youngsters. (laughs) Yes. It's funny because that reminds me of on Easter weekend, Derek and I took a really long walk, a really long hike. and And it was through San Francisco, but it was also through different parks that were in San Francisco, different hills. And we were up on top of one hill looking out at this amazing panoramic view of the city and there's a grandmother and a grandson nearby and the grandson is sulking and I'm overhearing their conversations and he's just saying well on the weekends on Sundays I get to have my phone until noon and I get to do whatever I want to on it that's what my parents say and the grandmother says yeah but we're not doing that today We're on a beautiful hike with all this nature around and it's Easter Sunday and you can do it next week. I know that's what you usually get to do, but right now we're here and he's just like near tears (laughs) sulking. And I said to Derek, you know, something curmudgeonly adult about the state of the world today or whatever. Like it's a beautiful day. There are flowers in bloom, birds everywhere. And this kid just wants to sit at home and play his game on his computer and Derek says, how much interest did you have of walking around in natural preserves when you were a child? And it's sort of true in a way. You don't remember that there would have been a certain time where what you really wanted to do was play with this. You know, I can remember being a kid and my best friend growing up was extremely outdoorsy. And she always wanted to go to the park and go play or play tag or do this or do that, do outside stuff. And I thought her toys were cooler than mine. I thought her family had a computer. Mine didn't have one yet. And I kept thinking, 
no, let's be on the computer. Let's play with your stuff, you know? And she'd be like, nah, let's go outside. <laughs> and I kind of spent my whole childhood walking around outside. Anytime I got an opportunity to be on a screen of any kind, I was all about it, you know, TV or... I shouldn't give up hope for the next generation just because they may not have that much interest in a panoramic shot of San Francisco. Yeah, I think it's pretty universal, regardless of when you're growing up, that most young people don't care about nature and most of them don't care about art and history until a certain age. And I think that it does change. A light switch does go off, not for everyone, but for a lot of people. And I remember very clearly when that light switch went off for me. And it was not just nature. It was nature, but it was also wanting to see things and wanting to visit. And that was when I, was, when I went to Europe when I was 16, almost 17. I went back by myself and I stayed with the same family, the family who live outside of Paris. And they were going to be in Corsica for three weeks in August. And they invited me to come with them. And so I went and I stayed at this little beach house, basically, that they had rented. I was always writing in my journal at that time. And I was writing letters. I was writing letters to mostly to Suzanne. Maybe I wrote one to you too during that time. I just remember every single day sitting on the rocks with my feet in the water, watching the sunset or, you know, and just writing and writing and writing and writing in my journal, writing letters and looking out at the water and, and really appreciating the nature for the first time. And I grew up on the water, as you know, on a lake. And of course I loved it, but I mean, it was more about having fun, you know, diving in or going water skiing or something, playing with my friends. This was like, I was by myself because there was another girl my age, but she was a huge snob and her cousin had come. And so they were always excluding me and I didn't speak French hardly at all. It's very easy for them to exclude me. And I was a late riser at that age. So they would get up early in the morning and they would go to the beach not right outside the house, like they would go to an actual public beach. And I would just, you know, be stuck at home. But I honestly didn't care. And I would sit on the rocks and swim by myself and write my letters and write. And it was like the very first time in my life that I actually started to appreciate nature and just appreciate solitude. And then the last week of the trip, we went back to Paris. And I had a week in Paris, and they were all back at work. I got myself a train pass because they were a very quick train ride into the center of town. And I had this huge map of Paris, like one of those huge maps that you have to like spread out on the floor. Mm -hmm. I made myself a seven day itinerary and I was like just barely 17. I'm really proud of myself that I did this. I made an itinerary for myself. There was no internet guys. <laughs> and I went somewhere new by myself every single day. I will never forget that trip either. That was just... I mean, I kind of consider it solo traveling. I was staying with a family, so it wasn't like I was in a hotel or a hostel by myself. But, but I was out every day from morning until evening or until mid-afternoon at least. It was amazing. So let me just put a positive spin on what you were saying earlier. So you were not the precocious, curious Beatrice character that you write about in Midnight in the Piazza at age 14, but you had gotten there yeah. in just three short years after that. Yeah, I guess So I by had. the time you were 17... You are that person. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there were definitely things on that first trip that interested me, but I just don't think I had the appreciation. I think that's what it is. It's like appreciation. You know, they always say, oh, kids don't appreciate what they have. It's true. You really, you really don't, you don't know. You have no context for it, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Not every 14 year old gets to go to France and Italy. Yes, it's true. And I wonder about my son. I'm like, I mean, he right now is three, right? So 
all the enthusiasm that I have rubs off onto him. That's kind of how kids are, little kids. It's great now, but as he grows, I'm, I'm like, hmm, is he going to realize that he's living in an extraordinary place and that not every city has ancient ruins on every corner? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Probably not until he goes to other places that aren't as interesting. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Until he goes to run down ramshackle town that's <laughs> just a decade away from dying off completely or something like that will he realize what it means to live in a city that's ancient and has lasted for so long i guess you can't appreciate it because you don't have anything to compare it to until, until you move away yeah or until you get more life experience what about you how were you as a traveler as a kid yeah i think i asked you an impossible question there because <laughs> how was i to travel with as a kid hard to know my mom could answer that question better. Mom, feel free to send me a voice memo and tell me what I was like as a kid. We did a lot of road tripping. We didn't do any international travel. I do remember being on my first flight with my mother and her explaining the stuff on the back of the emergency card and things like that to me. But I do not remember where we were going. And it was a lot older. I wasn't like super, super little or anything like that. But we mostly took road trips and so a lot of my traveling memories are in the car on the way to somewhere else. So my mother would do these cute things to try to keep us interested. So every morning on these trips, particularly if we were crossing into another state that day, she would get out a book and tell us what the state bird was, where the state capital was. Your mom is so cool. She's like, <laughs> she has to like find a way to teach. Right. We all had little notebooks. She was also making us practice writing, I think, in hindsight. Nice job, Mom. So we'd write it down, state, Illinois, <laughs> with our slow handwriting, flower, <laughs> bird. So we had these books that we had to keep a log of what we were doing. And then she would encourage us to collect things throughout the day. So if we were staying at a Holiday Inn, you might take the little paper. I don't know if you remember this from our childhood, but they used to put a little paper cup over a glass cup to make it look like as if it was sanitized. It would have like a little paper lid on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. I know what you're talking Before about. Before they just started using plastic all the time. Little paper lid. So that would say Holiday Inn. So she would encourage us to take maybe that paper lid or maybe you want to take a piece of the note paper from the Holiday Inn and then you'd paste it in your book. So you'd be like, tonight we stayed at the Holiday Inn with the Holiday Inn flattened cup thing. And then, you know, if we stopped anywhere or we stopped at the corn palace you'd get a little brochure from the corn palace and you'd cut out whatever pictures on the brochure that you like and you'd paste them in so we had these little journals that weren't necessarily us recording our memories but were recording what we had seen along the way so i remember doing those and then i remember some trip where it was particularly long i don't remember where we were going where my mother would have tried to bribe us so much but it was a particularly long trip, and so she had made it so that each one of us had a bag of wrapped gifts in the car that was for us specifically. And every morning, you could pick one thing out of your bag and open it. So it was like the incentive to get to the next day. And the things in the bag were like cassette tapes or a card game. 
anything you could do to pass the time. Your mom, I gotta say. And of course, it's me and my sister, so that's why you could card games, you know, you could play card games with each other. You didn't have to live so buckled up when we were kids. You could kind of roam around in the backseat a little bit. Like um, they do here in Italy still. Yeah. Good job, Mrs. Sewell. We did a lot of counting of cows. You were talking about having kids count keys in Rome. We did a lot of counting of cows, a lot of counting <laughs> of sheep. Did you play the ABC game? Oh, of course. Yeah. And we played travel bingo. Oh, travel bingo. It's where you uh, look for certain street signs or cattle crossings, red light, different things you would see on the road. I have such great memories of the ABC game and 20 questions with my dad. Because my dad, when we were little, six, seven, eight, he lived about 40, 45 minutes from where my mom lived. And so every weekend, every other weekend, he would come and pick us up and drive us out to his house and it wasn't like driving to Illinois <laughs> but you know it's a long drive I was living in Minnesota at the time so it wasn't that far well still go ahead I just remember doing that and just loving to do that with my dad and my sister well tell people how to play the ABC game if they would like to play today okay if you don't know the ABC game it's very simple you just everyone knows the ABC game is there someone who doesn't know it I don't know probably somebody's like tell me tell me okay while you're driving you look out the windows and you have to find all of the letters in the alphabet in order. And I don't think you can use license plates. Like, at least that's how we played it, that you couldn't use license plate. You could use writing on the back of a car. Like if it said Ford, you know, you could say F, but you couldn't use the license plate numbers. And if I remember, and I, it's been so long, but I feel like if you get a certain letter on a certain sign, nobody else can get that letter. I'm not sure if that's true. Family rules, open to interpretation, do as you will. Yes. yes. And then, of course, 20 questions. If you don't know 20 questions, you know, the other person or the other people have 20 questions maximum that they can ask you. It has to be a question that can be answered with just yes or no. And they have to guess the person that you're thinking of. Have you ever... Well, there's so many games. <laughs> those are the only two I think we played. We were pretty unimaginative, but those were the ones that I remember. Well, there's also the memory one of I'm going on a picnic. I'm bringing an ant, a banana, a cow, a donkey, an elephant. Yeah. And then you would have to say, I'm going on a picnic. I'm bringing an ant, a banana, a cow. I don't remember what I said. A donkey, an elephant, and a... Fork. And a fork. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that game, but we didn't we didn't really play that game very much. We were pretty basic. Yeah. Maybe because our trips weren't as long as yours. <laughs> yeah. You have to dig deep, dig really deep. Well, just to end, I, I want to tell you a story, a really brief story about counting, since you mentioned counting on your show. You know, I told you that we would count cows and we would count sheep and pigs and things like that. And one particular boring day, we must have been getting very restless because my father said, OK, look, I will pay you each one penny per cow but you have to actually count cows. You can't just start counting as fast as you possibly can when we pass <laughs> a field of cows. You have to like see an individual cow, count it, see another individual cow, count it. And then to make it more interesting, he's like, I will give you five cents a sheep. Sheep cost more than cows. Because they're more rare in the United States. You don't see them as much. In the US, yeah. And then here's the real kicker. He said he would give us 25 cents per American flag. <gasps> Wow. We were on the open road. So at this time, you didn't see a lot of American flags. It was, I feel like there are more now, but you didn't see a lot. Okay, I can't wait to get a flag. And of course, this is a point too, where we didn't have any allowance. We had no money. So this was our <laughs> chance to actually get money, which was 
extremely exciting. And then it gets even more exciting because we pull into a town, a really small town, and it turns out that it's Flag Day. No way. Actually Flag Day. And the entire town is just lying. Jackpot. There are just flags poked in every yard <laughs> all the way up and down the street. We just go bananas. We start counting like as fast as we possibly can. My poor father finally just says, you know, this is capped at $10. Oh, man. <laughs> That's so not <laughs> fair. We like, cha-ching, we're going to walk away with hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be thousands of flags out here. I just got to count them all. That's hilarious. That's one of my favorite counting memories. So parents, if you're following Tiffany's advice from last Thursday's mini episode about counting keys and you're putting money behind it, you might want to watch yourself a little bit because there are a lot more than you think. (laughs) Yeah. Do the penny, not the quarter. Yeah. A lot more than you think. You could go with pigeons, but you might want to go with the more rare parakeets if you're going for live creatures in Rome. Yeah, don't do pigeons. There's a zillion. Uh, Or seagulls. But there's more pigeons. You can do parakeets, though. Those are harder to find. They have them, but there's, there's not as many. So we should leave it there. Okay. Now I have some exciting new games to play with Aurelio the next time we go on a road trip. Yeah, it would actually be really fun to do an entire show about travel games. Yeah. I know I can think of more than we've talked about. So perhaps if any of you listening out there have really great travel games that you love to play, send them in and share them with us. It would be so much fun. Yes, send us your travel games for all kids of all ages. I do want to share this one not real story. (laughs) (laughs) It's something that I wanted to that I've been inventing. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me tell you this amazing story that never happened. <laughs> we were going to go on a, a weekend trip last Halloween in Italy. November 1st is a holiday. And we were going to go to Salzburg, I want to say. We were kind of thinking about going. And we wanted to take an overnight train. I've taken an overnight train many times. I love traveling by overnight train. Claudio and I have done it together once. And we thought it would be so fun to take Aurelio. But we realized that if we went, we were going to be leaving on Halloween night. Mm. And I thought to myself, Halloween is very important, a holiday for me as an American. And I want to distill that tradition in my son. And so I was like, how can I do this? And of course, the, I'll, I'll put this right out there. We didn't actually go, so we didn't do this. But this was what we were going to do. And we still may do it one day because November 1st is a great opportunity to take a long weekend. What I was going to do is I was going to bring a bunch of candy and then go up and down the the train car, you know, knock on the doors and just give people candy. Oh, that's cute. Then I would get Aurelio dressed up in his costume and then just go trick-or-treating down the car of the train. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. That's really cute. We didn't do it. We didn't do it. That's why I said it's a fake story. But um, someday, someday we may it's do that. It's not exactly a fake story. It was an intended idea that never occurred. It's still a story. <laughs> <laughs> a fake story would be right. you telling me that you did do that on a train and then it never actually happened true <laughs> that would true. be a fake story mm-hmm. <laughs> no that's super cute so yes and remember for those of of you who are newer listeners tiffany has a child but i do not so when we're thinking about travel games i'm just traveling with adults here so help me out yeah so games that are fun for adults too games who are fun for everybody yeah all ages or games you played as a kid and you could send them to us by email or voice memo at bittersweetlife at mail.com. Or you can tag us on social media with your ideas everywhere. The big three at the Bittersweet Life podcast. 
Travel safely. Travel safely. This is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. And wait, 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 wait. One more thing. One more thing. This is a last minute thing that we just found out about. So for those of you who have been following the last couple episodes and have heard Amy Herman teaching us about visual intelligence, that's also the name of her book, Visual Intelligence. And we have gotten permission to give away a free copy of that book to someone who participates with us on social media. We are going to do this specifically on Facebook. So if you're not already following our Facebook page, look for the Bittersweet Life podcast and then look for a post about visual intelligence with Amy Herman. Look for the contest. This is such a great book. In fact, when I told Tiffany that we were going to have a book to give away to a randomly chosen winner who participates with us at Facebook at the Bittersweet Life podcast, Tiffany said, wait, give it away. I would like a copy of that book, but I'm not going to let her have it. I'm going to let one of you have it. No offense, Tiffany. So find us on Facebook, like our page, and then look for the post that Tiffany puts up about visual intelligence. Participate and you might be the winner. It is a great book. It has beautiful works of art in it and it will teach you how to look at those works of art through a series of exercises that are so fun and you'll see the world differently as a result. I hope you participate in that. Thank you so much for joining us. Please also visit our webpage, thebittersweetlife.net, and consider donating to the show. Your donations are currently the only thing that's keeping the show alive and going. So if you've never donated to the program, but you love it, please consider a donation one time or reoccurring. Thank you so much for all the ways that you support us by telling your friends, by subscribing to this show by writing reviews for it, whatever it is that you're doing. Thank you for keeping the show going and thriving. Talk to you on Thursday. Bye. Thanks to Lori Lee Elliott for her help managing the bittersweet life on YouTube and to Sarah Johnson for her consultation. Our logo is made by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory with painting assistance by our muse, Caravaggio. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for the Bittersweet Life Podcast. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. That way we're here for you every week, both on Monday and now on Thursday. And if you review us on Apple Podcasts, we'll be grateful for you. Send us your topic ideas, questions, and voice memos. We're at bittersweetlife at mail.com or at the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. <laughs> <laughs>